This is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. All right, it's poll time. I need you to put your hand high, and I'm talking high. If you did theater in high school or college, all right, that's that's my people. I'm loving it because it's magical when you go to a great play. When it's well acted, the script is moving, the characters transport you somewhere. And a big part of a play is the scenery or the props. The settings change and you literally set the stage for what's gonna happen. There's like trees and like, there's always like a big hole in the tree where an owl could come out to say we're in the forest. And then there's like a big gray wall for all castles everywhere. And then with a dungeon scene, when you know something bad's gonna happen, it gets dark and they turn down the lights. And the background or the scenery is a way that they tell you what's changing, what's happening next. And the gospel of John works like that. From chapters 13 through 17, five straight chapters, we've been in a single upper room celebrating a Passover, the last meal Jesus will ever eat with his 12 disciples. We've been there for five long chapters. And during this, he's washed their feet. He's told them that this is the end, that he's going back to the father. He let them know he will be betrayed by someone in the room. He rebuffed Peter's declaration, I'll follow you forever. And it's left the disciples anxious, nervous, depressed, wondering what's gonna happen. And Jesus responded saying, I'm gonna give you my peace and I'm gonna give you my joy. And then he prays for them in John 17. And then John 18, the scenery changes. The setting moves, they're out of the room and look where they go. It tells us a lot about what's about to happen. Look with me in verses one and two. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Jesus coming to Kidron this time is different. Kidron is a small, narrow valley between the walls of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. It's filled with graves of important people, even kings of Israel up and down. And as he comes into this space, the people who know the Bible well, if you know Old Testament well, this is a place of prophecy for the great judgment of God to come. But this time Jesus comes not as a conqueror, But as the God-man with roasted lamb filled in his belly, and he will be arrested in this very garden in the valley to become the lamb of God for all of us, the Passover lamb for all the world. And what informs this is there's another scene of great betrayal in Israel's history. In 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17, King David is subjected to a coup. His own son tries to take the throne and he's betrayed both by his son and by Othophel, I can't say this guy's name, but a close advisor to King David, Othophel, there we go, betrays King David. King David runs out of the palace shoeless, weeping 
hiding in the valley Kidron, hoping to escape with his life. And this clues us in that Jesus is the greater King David. And he goes to Kidron fleeing no one. Instead, this is his slow march to the cross of his death, for he is the greater King David. He's coming to the fight, but this fight he's not gonna win with a sword no matter how much Peter tries. This fight will be a sacrifice play where he loses in the moment and dies a death, a horrible death, to win for eternity forevermore. Look at verse three. It says, so Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there, this is like a movie scene, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. The same Jesus who taught publicly every day out in the middle of the city and all around the countryside, now they go get the weapons. Now they need to do it at night. There's no street lamps, there's no house lights. They have to go get torches. They are coming to do this arrest in the middle of the night. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing among them. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Notice all the action on Jesus. It doesn't say he hears him coming, says he knows all things. He comes out from his little gathering and meets him. Imagine you feel like you're hunting someone down and that person happens to walk up the path towards you. Jesus speaks first. Jesus is answering the questions. We have the God-man in full control of his own arrest. And when Jesus says, I am, he is affirming and confirming that yes, I am the man, Jesus from Nazareth, but I am also the great I am, the universal ruler of all things. First revealed in Exodus 3 from a burning bush that God said, this is my special name, Yahweh, which translated means I am or I am who I am. And so Jesus in the double meaning is affirming he is both God and man. And he does this so that they know exactly what they're doing. You are resting and attempting the murder of God. Do not be under any other illusions of what's happening this night. No matter who sent you, no matter if you don't know the story, I'm God and this is what's happening right now. And apparently the power of this moment drops these soldiers and servants. They draw back, they fall to the ground, their bellies are on the ground. We don't know if it's in awe or in fear or some mix of confusion. This man's like coming out and asking all the questions and seemingly in charge of this scenario, they think they're hunting him. The enemies of Jesus are responding better than they know to the majesty and power of God because truly all should bow to Jesus. And truly, as Philippians 2 tells us, one day all people will bow to Jesus. Worship comes from awe. If you remember seeing something like the Grand Canyon, there's a sense of awe that just comes out of you. You sometimes say things like, whoa, 
Like Niagara Falls is bigger than I thought. Seeing the ocean, it's just bigger than you think. Seeing a waterfall, it's just bigger. Even smaller things, seeing a beautiful tree, eating a great meal, watching a movie that gets your heart pumping. You walk out the theater and you're like, that was an experience. And you long to tell others about it. Even things like a fantastic coffee or a beautiful car, a hug from a friend that just means the world can take you somewhere, can blow you away, can bring you to sing and worship. And that's what worship's like. Because a person properly in awe of Jesus is someone who's worshiping Jesus. Our worship comes from our awe that something is bigger, greater, and better, and just other than us, that's not like us, that deserves our worship. So here's the question and challenge for us citizens. Are you in awe of Jesus? Are you in awe of Jesus? Is your voice and body responding to Jesus, the Jesus whose mere words drops a band of soldiers? Jesus who's at a finger snap can change water to wine. A Jesus who can forgive sins. A Jesus who created all the world through him and will be the concluder of the world right there in that Kidron Valley one day. Today, I want you to have the courage to question how you worship and entertain if perhaps there's a better and bigger way for you to more fully be in awe of Jesus and respond with your worship. Once I was at a college camp, I was ministering to high school students and we were at this faraway camp And at night, sometimes we'd meet up with like our discipleship group of the staff investing in these other staff. It was great. And there's a guy in my group, his name was Tommy. And at one point, Tommy started sharing how much he hated a guy named Evan. And the leader goes, well, why do you hate Evan? And Tommy started to say, well, I hate that Evan is so full of joy. I hate that he sings all day at work. I hate when we worship, he dances wildly, which he did. He is always enthused. The man's running around behind things at times. And he's just so full of joy and enthusiasm. It has to be fake. And I just can't stand Evan. The leader was wise and let him go on a little bit longer. And he had observed both Evan and Tommy over time. And he knew Tommy was mostly bored and disengaged in worship. Basically the opposite of Evan. And eventually the leader dropped the question, well, Tommy, do you think God would prefer people worship more like Evan full of joy or more like you mostly bored? No one talked in the group for a while. That was a full stop in the group. And the goal here, church, isn't guilt. It's not, hey, y'all, we're doing good, but let's go even bigger. Come on. That's not my goal today. But I want to be a church where we can talk. We talk about everything in this church eventually because scriptures go everywhere and God's spirit is moving us everywhere but I want to be a church that we can actually talk, looking at this passage to point out the obvious thing here, that if these men, these soldiers are cowering in fear at the mention of God's name from Jesus, 
Perhaps we should shout for joy and be in awe because Jesus' name actually means eternal life for you and me. If it's dropping them to the floor, forgetting their mission altogether, making them, the scripture doesn't even really tell us what happened. They just drew back and like fell down and then they're like up and arrest Jesus in a minute. I wanna be the people who's bamboozled by Jesus's glory and greatness. I want it to be okay if I have to fall down or stand up or shout or put my hands or clap my hands or dance or whatever I need to do because Jesus is so big and I'm so small that it's okay for me to lose myself a little bit because worship isn't about me and my insecurities. It's about God and his greatness who drops soldiers, changes wine, forgives sins, and is going to bring the world to an end. Jesus is a God of infinite power in a way we just can't even understand. And I want us to rightly respond to him because I have a theory that subdued worship is often more about us and our insecurities than Jesus and his greatness. That subdued worship is often more about us and our insecurities than Jesus and his greatness. And I think common sense says that's not how it ought to be because if worship's about us, it's not true worship. Worship is about the object of worship or, or just isn't worship. True worship's about Jesus and it's not true worship if we're not seeking Jesus when we worship. You can go to a concert and be excited. That's not the goal of citizens. We are here to worship the infinite Jesus. And we're a biblical church. We base our lives on the word of God. We base our church on the word of God. We preach the word of God. We liturgize the word of God. We sing the word of God. We are a people all about the word of God. But here's the thing. We tend to really want to be a biblical people about the stuff we're really comfortable with. And we tend to just not focus on the stuff that's biblical, but we're not comfortable with. Because the Bible teaches us, instructs us, commands us, to worship with our whole heart. Look with me at Psalm 149. It says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. Have you ever read that and thought, God commands that you sing new songs to him over time. Isn't that wild? We always think like, oh, we're gonna get more holy if we sing backwards through a hymnal or backwards in this way. That's true, but God says forward, each individual church, each nation, each culture needs to make new songs unto God or they disobey God, period. We are a people that is called to continually learn new ways to praise God or it wouldn't say that. It says, sing a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. You can praise God at home. I hope you do. Washing dishes, that's a praise center in my house right there. Get me away from the grub and the grime and get me up to the Lord. But it also says we are to praise God with his people. You could have a birthday party of one. You could bake a cake, you could put candles in it, you could ice it up, and you could sing happy birthday to yourself and blow out your candles. Would that be sad? A little. But how good is it when you have an entire crowd of people singing in thankfulness to you, happy birthday, in that magical moment? You can praise God anywhere in vocal worship, but it's special to praise it in the assembly. That's 
That's just a word for the church or the gathering of the people of God. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Why do we praise him? Because he's our maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. This is to show our gladness. It's not a secret. It's a secret we let out in our praises. Let him praise his name with dancing. Make music to him with a timbrel and a harp. I'm telling Charlie, where the timbrel at? That's that's where we're going. Multiple harps. Harp church, that's our next thing. We are to praise God with our voices, with new songs, in assembly of people, with instruments, and dancing with our bodies. For the Lord takes delight in his people. Why do we praise God? It's not to get him to like us. That's already settled. He loves us. He delights in us. Whew. That's a parenting tip too, man. Delight in your kids. Feel the pleasure of being delighted in. Maybe you're like, man, I've never been delighted in my whole life. I'm looking for it everywhere. I wanna tell you today that the Lord sings over you in Zechariah and he delights in you. He delights in you. His love is so powerful and good that he can look at you in all your imperfections. He knows all the bad stuff. He's just forgiven it and delights in you to the point where you dance, shout, sing new songs, grab your timbrel from home. And he crowns the humble, those who see their great need for God with victory. Let faithful people, if you wanna be a faithful person, you rejoice in the honor of being belonging to God and sing for joy on their beds. If you wanna know where I am on the worship scale, how am I doing? Do you sing yourself to sleep? Are you to the point to where that's both a metaphor, but maybe literal too, that when times are bad, you're humming it as well to my soul until you go to rest. When times are good, you're singing king of my heart. You don't have to sing yourself to bed, but do you see the point is that we are a singing people for literally millennias, thousands of years, the worshipers of Yahweh have been singing and we wanna join them with all of our heart to say, yeah, I'm part of that ancient people who has a destiny for forever where we'll sing and sing and sing till our lungs explode. That's the destiny of God's people. We are a singing people. And you might say, hey, that's, that's in the Old Testament. What about the new? Well, the new just continues on. Look at Colossians 3, 15 and 16 with me. It says, be thankful. Part of worship is just our giving of thanks. That's that call to worship start. Let the message of Christ, the gospel, dwell so richly among you that you teach and admonish each other. Where? Not from the pulpit. It'll say that all, all sorts of places. It says, preach the word, do this, do that, disciple others. But in this passage, it says, you guys actually teach and admonish. Admonish is a fancy word of correction and encouragement mix. You teach and admonish who? Say it loud, Clay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> teach and admonish one another. Clay, your duty is to teach and admonish Kaylee and Tyler, and Tyler and Kaylee's duty is to teach and admonish you to read the board. No. (laughs) You are called by the word of God to sing, to worship in a way that teaches one another that this is God and this is what we do. With all wisdom through the Psalms, That's why most of our liturgies from the Psalms, from Isaiah today, it's been from Romans to help double loop with us in our Roman study. Hymns, 
Apparently they already had hymns. This is like written in the first century. They already had songs that they knew they wanted to sing. And songs from the spirit, the new songs are back. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. God's plan to make his church healthy, holy, disciply is for y'all to sing to one another, to teach and admonish each other. Because that's what happens when the gospel, the message of Christ dwells richly within you. Church, don't you want to be that church? Don't you want to keep building on where we are and keep going up a ladder that says, when I step into citizens, I am absolutely drawn to worship straight to God. I am 100% encouraged by the people around me singing to God, even if I'm not feeling it, even if I had a rough week, even if I'm having a hard time focusing, that I can know, well, Sam Young believes, and that's gonna work for today. I'm gonna be encouraged by my brother's faith. Andy Wood believes, Grace Wood believes, I'm gonna be encouraged by their faith because it's for God, it encourages one another, and it's before the watching world. The whole world spends tons of time watching television, doing all sorts of different things, but we're the people who say, you know what? We cut out several hours of our week to gather in small groups to pray and study his word, gather big to sing and study his word. Why? Because we belong to Jesus. So I let my time orbit around these commitments that the world finds foolish. Have you ever thought how foolish we seem to the world to praise an invisible God at the top of our lungs in a basement of a church? But that's what we're doing. It's foolish to the world, but it's wise to God. I want to invite you to the good news here. Instead of anger or fear or shame or more insecurity from talking about stuff that's usually not preached a whole lot, I want you to say there's space to worship quietly and reverently. Absolutely. That's welcomed here at Citizens. There's space to have personal tragedy, to walk through confession in the liturgy. There's all sorts of space to have a wide range of praise, a wide range of emotions, a wide range of vocal tones and all those things. But I do want to encourage you to join all the biblical witness to say we are a singing people that wants to grow in singing worship to God because worship's ultimately about him, not my preferences. And I want to be a biblical church in every area period. So let's continue to grow together, to worship the Lord with our whole heart, our whole body, and everything we have. Jesus is powerful. He deserves my praise, but also Jesus keeps me both now and forevermore. Look at verses seven through nine. It says, so he asked them again. Jesus restarts the conversation. Presumably they're getting off the ground. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken just in the chapter before. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Jesus willingly sacrifices for us. He's literally saying, take me, leave them. It's the same message of the gospel, just in miniature right here, but it points to a specific thing that we worship a Jesus that has the power to keep those who belong to him. We don't die early. We don't die late. If you are in Christ, we die on time. When our work and faith has been fulfilled on this planet, we can rest easy falling into the arms of our Christ that we are kept into the moment of our death only to live to forevermore with Christ. And this is one more example of that big idea. 
that Jesus has conquered death and we don't need to fear it any longer. This powerful Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our worship because he can keep us. But look at verse 10 and 11 as the passage finishes, giving us a reason to worship Jesus because he suffers for us. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink of the cup that the father has given me? Of course, Peter's the one with the sword. Of course, Peter's the one that whacks off an ear. Of course, he didn't attack any of the soldiers. That's one of those like afterwards, they talk to Peter like, hey man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like getting in a fight in high school. Like I'll take that guy's little brother. Like, what are you doing, man? Like if you're gonna go for it. Okay, Peter. Uh, And Jesus tells him, put your sword away. We're not here for a takeover. Instead, the call was to come and die from the moment I was born. I'm here to suffer. That cup he references is the cup of suffering, the cup of God's wrath for all sin of all time in one cup for Jesus to drink down to its dregs. And that starts now with his arrest, his mockery, his beatings, his false trial at midnight, his drug through the city, his hung high, brought low, stretched out, tortured, murdered unto his own death. And Jesus, in the moment of his greatest injustice, the perfect God arrested, look at our Jesus, stops the violence of Peter and then does good to his enemy. Malchus arresting him restores his ear in the gospel account of Luke. Malchus, it's widely rumored that people knew who he was. He's mentioned in all four gospels. It's quite a boast to say it's right ear Malchus, this very specific thing, verifiable facts by all people of that time that the Bible would reference these things. And we see we worship Jesus because Jesus suffered to make the gospel for us. The sin is costly and it costs the blood of Jesus. And I want to hit a side note here because Malchus's healing is really instructive. A lot of times we struggle to worship publicly, loudly, with a big voice, with joy, because we've been hurt by Christians or churches in the past that's eroded our trust. A lot of times we suffer to worship with all of our heart because there's a real vulnerability it takes to have open, expressive worship. And we don't want to feel foolish again to trust ourselves to a group of people or trust ourselves to a a music minister or a pastor to say, I'm going to worship with all my heart because I don't want to end up disappointed in the end. And I want Malchus's healing to instruct us just a bit here before we return and worship with our whole heart. Because I know many of you have experienced that hurt at the hands of the church or a Christian leader like Peter or Christians in general. But as you think about it, I want you to know that the Lord longs to heal your ear, that the Lord longs to heal that part of you. Let Jesus worry about that overaggressive leader or that church that hurts you. Jesus will correct Peter. Jesus will correct the wrongs. But let you be in the seat of Malchus here and say, how long am I going to walk around with my ear whacked off, being a wounded person and not living from wisdom in that wound, not learning to trust the Lord again, not learning to trust God's people again? 
but instead saying, well, look what happened last time I was around Jesus and those people. Look what happened last time I met Peter. Let the Lord heal that today. Let the Lord step into those wounds. Don't walk around the walking wounded. That will lead to weariness, not faith. And see the kindness of Jesus. If he would heal an enemy like Malchus, he definitely wants to heal every part of you with his love that you can worship with all of your heart. None of the junk of your past is scary to God. He already knows it. And he wants to work through it with you to bring you to a place where you fully trust God and his church, realizing that everyone needs grace, you included. And grace is the only way imperfect people can worship a perfect God. If you are a Christian and belong to Jesus, let's turn up our worship today and each Sunday. Feel how you can grow more and more free to marvel at Jesus and respond in worship. Jesus drops a crowd at a word and they cowered in fear, but Jesus drops his own blood for us that we would worship in joy. When we see Jesus's great worth, we worship church. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX who recorded our theme music and to Austin Oglesby who mastered these tracks for us. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.